Good. Hello, everybody. We are going live. We are super live. Welcome to DOK Community Session number 98. That's right, folks. In just over a year, we're going to reach 100 live streams, meetups um, that we've done as a community. The 100th will be next week on Thursday. You can bet that we'll be doing something special. There'll be some live music. Um, we'll have some prizes we'll be giving away. Also going to do a quiz just to see how much you really know about the DOK ecosystem, um, about some of the different speakers that we've had, the different topics that we've covered, and different things that kind of make us unique. Uh, today's speaker comes from a company, Sivo, that's also one of our sponsors. So big shout out to Sivo. I was telling Dinesh before we got started that Sivo just got a super rock solid dream team of rock stars. Um, we had the pleasure of having Alex Jones with us um, when he actually wasn't at Sivo, um, but now is definitely a big fan of his. Uh, big shout out to Anais, who's in the audience as well. I got to meet David in KubeCon, I believe, so big shout out to him too. Kunal Kishwaha, of course, Siam. Anyway, Ricky, we can go on and on. All the wonderful, Sophia, all the wonderful folks that work at Sivo. But today we're going to be talking about something that has been a part and parcel of the data on Kubernetes community since we got started. This issue of storage. People will tell you it's delicate. People will tell you it's dangerous. If you've ever moved house, you know that moving stuff can get complicated. Things can get broken. Things can get lost. So when companies are in this situation and need to think about moving their storage from one provider, one vendor to another, how are they going to do that? And that's why the wonderful title that Dinesh got for today, it's not me, it's you. Uh, I think it's a very nice way of putting it. Dinesh, welcome to the Data on Kubernetes community. Wonderful to have you with us. Can you just tell us about who you are and how you got it, how you found yourself in a position where you'd even have to be considering these difficulties, challenges of moving one you know, storage from one place to another? Yeah, hi. Uh, so Dinesh, I'm director of innovation at Sivo, one of the one of the members of the team that are there. And yeah, we've got, as I said, a great, great team. And um, actually, all of the code that I'm going to be de de demoing today is none of my code. This is all David's code. So I'm going to oh. pretend to take all of the credit. But in reality, if it goes wrong, I know where I'm pointing the finger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's also the title. It's not me, it's you. So we know what's going exactly, to Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, kind of various reasons of why we got into this situation. Obviously, uh, you know, some are contractual, but you know, we came up for a renewal basically, and it gave us an opportunity to look around and see what else was out there. So that's the position that we're in. But the, you know, the great thing about building Sivo as cloud native kind of from the ground up is that everything has been designed to be replaceable in the nicest way possible. So, you know, it's the same thing with Kubernetes. If, if something breaks, you almost just delete it and it comes up again on a different node. Uh, that idea with data as well of you delete your PVC and you can have some sort of process that either restores it from backup or as we're going to go through today, allows you to migrate from one PVC to another um, and during that process, if you just change the storage class, great, you've now gone from one vendor to another vendor, or even things like, you know, some vendors have uh, replication. So if you've got a volume that is replicated twice and you need to go down to a single replica, this same process can be applied. So it's not only for moving vendors, it's what we're using it for, but it's a great tool that we have now in our arsenal. Very, very good. That being said, Folks, as usual, and for the SIVO folks as well, you can put your questions in the YouTube uh, chat and we'll get to them accordingly. I expect nothing but, you know, very difficult armor-piercing questions from uh, from David and Anais, as well as anybody else from the SIVO team. But as usual, if you've got questions, just let us know. Also, when uh, Dinesh switches uh, to show some code, if you can't see for whatever reason, you like him to zoom in, 
um, just leave a comment here and, and we'll follow up accordingly. So if you want to share your screen, go for it. Yeah. So I've got, I promise it won't be death by slides. Uh, so hopefully that has come up and you've got full screen of my slides now. Yeah. Perfect. Excellent. Um, so very, very quickly, you can get to know me a bit. I've been doing this sort of thing for 15 years in the shared hosting industry. It's a very interesting space to work with because you talking to customers from all sales of things, all scales of things, and they've all got the most important thing ever and the most important application ever that's got to be online. Um, and I've got experience working from first line where uh, you get the most difficult questions all the way up to third line where you've got the div uh, difficult problems. Um, and then various other things, developer, system architect, doing DevOps work, you, you name it, I've probably done it in the hosting industry. Um, so Sivo, you probably have heard of us, but we're uh, you know, a new cloud native public cloud provider, uh, really focused on Kubernetes at the moment. So we offer you the ability to run Kubernetes clusters. We aim to get every cluster launched within 90 seconds from you clicking the button to it being ready for you to use. Um, we've got a load of Terraform providers, we've got a CLI, we've got a lovely GUI as well. Um, and over the past 10 months, we've launched three regions, uh, which I will, yeah, yeah, we might talk about a bit. And just to see in general, we're looking to add more racks, add more regions and just grow, grow, grow. Kind of covered this already a little bit about why we're migrating, but it mainly we came up for contract renewal and we just looked at the market again. Uh, the last time we looked at storage providers was about two years ago when we kicked off the, the project and our new sort of Sivo stack initiative. Um, and we chose the best vendor at the time, but you know, the new partner that we're going to move towards and, and move over to, um, they honestly, the performance wasn't great two years ago, but the great thing about this space is people move on, move forward, and uh, they're now using some new technology. Uh, it looks really, really quick. It's really, really exciting. Um, and it's fully open source as well. So if there are issues, we can find it in the code. If there are features missing, it allows us to develop it and push it out there. So we're really excited. Um, it's probably a pain in the ass for us for the next few months to do this migration. But other than that, I think it's a really good opportunity for us going forward. Kind of want to cover off what our current hardware architecture is because it underlines what we're trying to do. So we have in a single one of our regions, probably about 30 to 35, what we call compute nodes. Um, so each of the compute nodes has two NVMe drives. We've got two boot disks, CPU, RAM, and then we run containers on these compute nodes. Uh, we are a heavy user of the kubevert project. So those containers are actually VMs themselves. And when you launch a tenant cluster, we, uh, we launch containers containing K3's instances effectively, and then you consume the VMs on top of that. Each of the containers VMs have a root disk, uh, which all of the data is stored on for like the operating system and K3s on it, and they are stored on the NVMe drives. So our current architecture is all of the NVMe drives are allocated to a single vendor. But what we need to do is move over so that this architecture supports both vendors at the same time, allows us to do the migration, and then we reprovision again to move over to a single vendor. So if we were working in the cloud, this would probably be a really, really easy solution because we'd spin up another 35 compute nodes with the second vendor. And then as we use, as we migrate data, we just turn the old ones off. 
in the land of physical servers, that's more challenging because we can't just spin up a rack and then delete it again afterwards. It becomes a very expensive proposition. So the first architecture that we can consider is probably doing something very, very similar of if we allocate, say, half of our architecture and the compute nodes themselves to vendor one and half of them to vendor two, uh, we can go down this route and do a migration. Uh, but it comes into kind of problems of how do we get to this stage? Um, and that is just a problem of replication, really. Uh, we would delete one of the nodes from the cluster, one of the compute nodes. And then the way that the storage architecture works currently is the data would get replicated over to the existing compute nodes uh, that are still in there. Then we can do some migration and then rinse and repeat, and it's a little slow process to do that. Uh, we might go down this route. It's probably not been decided yet, but the other option is that we have two NVMEs in each of the servers. So we can actually just remove one of the NVMEs and partition our, our supercluster in this way. We're not decided yet, but this is the, you know, these are these are two options that we could go down. Um, they both have their pros and their cons. Um, probably less data moving around with this one uh, before we do our migration, but it's more challenging to do uh, because you're kind of splitting concerns on a single compute node. Either way, whichever one we we go down, um, we've got a migration process to do. So what we need to do at a very high level is shut down the VM that's running, migrate that data, update the object, start it up, and then remove the old data. Very, very simple. And you know, thankfully, due to some of the tools out there with kubevert, it does seem very simple. So what I want to do is I'll switch over to a terminal now. Uh, quick quick can... question on that before you get over to the terminal. Yeah. When, when we're looking at this migration process, who are the stakeholders that are going to be involved in that? Um, so it's the SRE team. They're the ones that are going to be actually running it. Um, and from a sort of end user customer point of view, there's probably not a whole lot of involvement because we offer Kubernetes. Everyone is deploying clustered services. So as long as we take down one of, you, one of the nodes in the cluster at a time, it's almost seamless to the end user because their workload itself will move over to the other node in the cluster. Once that then starts up and is migrated, we then switch over to the next one. So, you know, it's an, it's an internal process as far as I can see, um, rather than having to tell customers about it. Okay, so it's got out of sight, out of mind, just keep, like you said, keep it internal. Yeah, I mean, if, if you think about any other cloud provider as we're trying to kind of be is that as the end user, you don't really care what storage yeah. we're using under the hood, right? It should be seamless. And that's the approach that we've taken. It's, it's not going to be going to every customer and go, uh, excuse me, sir, when's a great opportunity to migrate your workload? Because we've got hundreds of thousands of instances that we're working with at the moment. So not overly realistic. Awesome. Cool. Keep going. Cool. Uh, how does that look for size? Shall I just make that single screen bigger? Let me do that. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably the best way to go. Yeah. Oh. How does that look? I think it looks good. And folks, yeah, just remember, feel free to let us know in in in, in the YouTube comments if you want them to zoom in more. But I think we should be good for now. Cool. Um, 
I have had feedback that I type very quickly. So I, I, will, I can just I will, hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I will slow down, but if if it if I'm just scrolling through stuff, just shout and I will happily explain stuff. Okay. Um, so what I've got at the moment is I'm connected to one of the superclusters and I've got a, a dev node. Uh, so it's only for me, but it runs the same stack that we run in production from a software point of view. Uh, we're also, as I said, Kubernetes all the way down. So I'm using just some shortcuts here, um, which is from the ZSH, ZSH plugin. Um, so KGP, K, uh, kubectl, get pods. Uh, I'll explain these as we go along. What we've got here, if you've not seen kubevert before, is every VM is running as a pod. And they're called these vert launcher pods. You've also got a custom resource called a virtual machine or VM, which links through to that pod. And you can do operations as you were doing any other IaaS provider. So you can stop, you can start, you can restart instances by using a vert, uh, vert CTL command. Uh, vert CTL stop. Let's just take this instance stop. And under the hood, that just terminates the pod that is associated with that instance. So from doing operations like we're going to show, while I'm working with virtual machines, and I'll probably talk about virtual machines, it's the same thing as if we were working with pods. You just need to change the, the logic of how you do things. So let me just uh, start that up again for the demo. So. If we describe this um, instance, and we'll go through that, it has got um, some devices attached. So in here, there are disks. There's one called container disk, which is the root disk and contains your operating system. And then there's a second disk for cloud in it. So this is the configuration that you provide to the VM. Um, if we get the PVCs underneath that, let me just clear that. We can see that each one of the VMs is backed by an individual PVC. So you've got a VM that's a pod that's then backed by a PVC containing its root disk data. To make all of this uh, easy to work with, we have a custom resource called Sivo instance, which again is another way of interacting with that virtual machine. But it gives us more information like the storage class that it's currently um, assigned to, the size or the flavor that the instance is. And then we've got a private IP, which is on the layer two network that's dedicated to the customer. And we've got a public IP. Uh, I know these are private IPs, uh, but that again is because it's in my, my dev node. Um, and they're still rootable because I'm on the VPN. If we ran this on one of our public regions, this would come up with a, a true public IP. So for this demo, let me just SSH into one of these. And what we've got is a fully fledged Ubuntu instance here. So you can do anything you want. Um, as a tenant, you can run sudo um, and everything that you need to, but it's a, it's a VM to all extents and purposes. Uh, what I'll do is I will touch a migration file on here 
I'll edit that, say hello, DOK. So rather than this now being a vanilla instance that I launched about an hour ago, this is now customized and you know, users have logged on, they've installed applications, they're just doing everything that they need to do. Alternatively, this is the same demo for a Kubernetes cluster, but rather than it being an instance of Ubuntu, it's an instance that got that has K3s on it and is running containers itself. Um, if you've ever seen, um, uh, is it Hitchhiker's Guide? If it's, uh, uh, it's Turtles all the way down, for us it's Kubernetes all the way down. Uh, let me exit out of that. And what I want to do now is that process that I outlined here, which is shut down the VM, migrate the data, update the instance spec to point to the new PVC, and then we'll start it up again. So first thing we'll do is stop that instance. And we should see, great, it stopped. Then I have got this manual migration spec. Another layer of extraction in here is this data volume object. What it allows you to specify is a source for the data that is contained within a PVC and also a storage class for that. So if I create that object, and that again. What that has done is it's created a new PVC with the name of that manual migration. And if I get data volumes, it is currently cloning data from the tenant instance one PVC. And that is happening in a pod, which is that one there. So if I just quickly get the logs from that, uh, we should see here, yeah, this, this is <clears throat> mounted both the tenant instance 01 PVC and the manual migration for tenant instance 01 PVC, and it's copying data from one to the other, which it's now completed doing. So if I get the pods again, that those migration pods have finished running and that copy is completed. What I'll do now is if I edit the instance 01 VM. So like any other objects, like a pod, you've got the YAML spec for the instance. Um, there are some specs in here, which is the data volume that is assigned to that root disk. So I will manually set that to be manual migration. Uh, there is another one. I think that, oh yeah, this is the data volume template. So like you've got with a pod, you've got the PVC that you're mounting and then where you're using it. It's the same thing in here. You've got the volume that you're using and then how you're mounting it inside the VM. So what we'll now do is if we get the data volumes, we'll delete this old data volume because in theory, we don't need it anymore. And uh, Demo gods, be kind. So let's get the data volumes again. We now only have the instance so one that's been migrated. And in theory, if we start instance one 
we have a pod that's creating uh, and it is running, which means that we've not had any errors mounting the new PVC. If we get the SIVO instances, we should see as well that it is running and it's maintained that same public IP that we had before. If we SSH to that, in theory, nothing has changed on this. So the uptime should only be a few seconds because we've just started it up. We have a file in here and it's got all of our data in it. If we exit out of that and we get the PVCs, we can see that we've gone from storage class local path to local path migration. Any questions on that process before I move on? Just real quick, in and and we don't want to throw Dave under the bus um, in terms of the code, <laughs> but no, but but to get to this point, um, were, were there any surprises along the way of things that you didn't necessarily expect or anticipate? Um, that's just honestly, I think David kind of said that the thing was it was quite simple to get to this point and quite surprisingly simple. So we're using um, CDI containerized data importer from Kubevert. Um, okay. It was initially designed so that you could point it to an HTTP location of an ISO. So, you know, Ubuntu provide daily builds of their like ISOs, so do Debian and CentOS and stuff. So CDI was initially done so you can start a VM, give it an HTTP endpoint of Ubuntu's latest image, it downloads it, and then you can start a VM up from that. And they've added the, the, you know, the ability that you can copy a PVC. So as soon as we David found that, it was quite a nice surprise for us that it was quote unquote that simple. Uh, it, 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 it seems like the words simple and storage rarely go together, in particular when we're talking about on Kubernetes, but I think that's really refreshing to see that. Um, so shout outs to you, Dave, um, good job. And would, would there be anything that was more complex than you anticipated here? Or you'd say overall, just pleasantly surprised with the, the level of simplicity you found? On the actual moving the data, it was quite nice and quite simple. Um, the complexity comes in sort of the next part. Well, the working out the process, right? Because actually orchestrating it is more of a challenge in, sometimes than actually getting the system to migrate the data. Um, because doing this once, it's taken me, what, five, 10 minutes to do it, including the migration. Yeah. Um, scaling that up is the next challenge because mm -hmm. we want to make sure that this is not a hands-on job. Got it. Uh, yeah, David. David's comment is that it was well documented with a small leap of faith. Um, <laughs> we got, we got <laughs> That's only David could say. We got a, We got a question from someone in the audience. Does it use copy on uh, write behind the scenes? Uh, that is a very good question. I don't think so. I think they are just uh, image files. Um, which are completely block allocated. Um, and then you're relying on the kind of underlying storage provider to not write zeros and do things like the provisioning. So um, I think it's an option because Liver would support it. Uh, I don't think we're doing it on this. Okay. All right. Crack on. Let's head back here. So as we kind of covered, running this on thousands and thousands of instances is more of a problem than just doing things manually. 
Um, not only is it time consuming, sort of using up a person to do all of that, it's likely if you're doing this lots and lots of times, you're going to make a mistake. It's just human nature. You know, as good as you are, it's going to happen. Um, so operators is the way forward. Um, in Sivo, we use operators a lot. Um, I mean, the Sivo instance object is part of an operator, um, and that is orchestrating the, you know, the creation of that instance, the allocation of the network and, and everything there. So when it came to working out how we automate this, uh, operators were the way forward. Um, the one thing I would always say about operators is there's they've got this idea of eventual consistency, which I think took a lot of us at Sivo a little bit of time to get our heads around. Um, the kind of idea is, is that you request a state of something and then an operator promises that at some point in the future, the state you have asked for will be matched, but it won't necessarily be right now. Also, the operator could uh, die or, or have a problem at any point. So you've got to write your code uh, in a way that will pick up an object in any state and nudge it towards your next desired state and then exit. Um, it's kind of a hard way of thinking and, and something we've tried to explain quite often, but kind of struggled. So happy to talk more about operators and, and eventual consistency if questions come up about it. As for the, the process, very, very similar process on what we were doing, where we're shutting down an instance, doing the migration, starting it up, and then um, what we're doing to control this is we want to actually now only run this completely automated, but run it with one instance at a time. Uh, we're currently controlling this with a label. So we will label the instances that we want the operator to migrate. And then the last thing, rather than remote the migration label, is we need to remove the migration label, which will kind of mark it as this has been migrated. Don't worry about carrying on. So if we swap back over to here, um, what I've got here is I've got the operator that I can just run locally. I will run this over here. It will spit a load of output, but appreciate it's going to be difficult to see. So I'm just going to hide it, but this is the operator running in, in the background. And just before we jump too far into this, we got another question. Um, while the migration uh, or during the migration, is it possible to allow volume expansion or later state? Uh, volume expansion is supported currently, so it probably wouldn't be part of this operator. Um, it would just be a sort of BAU option of just going, right, I've got my instance, let's expand the size. Uh, this operator in particular is only responsible for migrating from one storage class to another storage class. Okay, cool. Thank you. Uh, right. So all we're going to do is we've got the uh, four instances here that are, read, that are left to migrate. So two, three, four, and five. And we're going to add a label to them saying migration required, which informs the operator that it needs to work on these instances. So if we apply that, and then now I might need to get two terminals up. But if we watch the pods in here, we can see that hands off completely, I'm not doing anything. In the background, the operator is stopping instance 02. It's starting up this um, migration pod to migrate the data from one to another. It's doing that, and in 
think it's about 30 seconds, we should see it start up instance 02. Or you're typing with your feet. Uh, or I'm <laughs> typing with my feet. <laughs> you type Always fast. You option. type fast. You type way too fast for just to be your hands. <laughs> um, let's see what happens. Purposely just waiting. And, yeah. Um, <laughs> there we go. Well, there we so go. That, that pod has finished. I just got to keep my hands up here, joints, but my feet up as well. It's going to be an odd zoom. <laughs> we need two. We need two cameras. Yeah, we need a third angle. And it's yeah. Um, and and there we go. We can see instance the search launcher for instance O two is now running, and the operator has automatically gone on to instance O three. So if we get the data volumes and watch that, we can now kind of just monitor what it's doing with that um, tenant O three. So we've got keep my hands up here. <laughs> uh, we've got that clone happening on that third instance. This gets up to about 35% uh, because it doesn't copy zero blocks over. Um, and then it will sort of do sort of finish that off and it will delete the old tenant instance 03. So it's come up here on the watch because it's been deleted. It doesn't actually tell you it's been deleted, but if we get the data volumes again, we can see instance 03 has been deleted. Um, the next thing to watch for this instance 04 is that the PVC is under the hood. Uh, so we can see 12 seconds ago that the migration uh, PVC has been created for instance 04 on the new storage class. Um, we'll give that 30 seconds or so, and we will see that the old one will get deleted. Okay. So yeah, the old one is, is terminating and it should go on and create, there we go, pending on the last one to migrate. Let's just sort of watch that instance 05 from a virtual machine point of view. All right, saying it stopped. It will finish the migration and it will automatically start up again. Any questions while we wait? There's a bit of a automation is yeah, automation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, with uh, <laughs> the topic of operators is something that comes up again and again and again to the point that almost probably in every live stream we've been doing at least the most recent 20 or so um, it seems that as of right now that operators are the best solution available in order to work with data on Kubernetes. Do you, as a director of innovation, I imagine you're constantly thinking about, you know, what's going to be coming in one, two, three years from now. Do you imagine that other kinds of solutions will be out there or deeper integrations that will allow folks to be working with data on Kubernetes apart from operators? I don't know. I mean, the, the operator pattern is something that has come out of almost Kubernetes core. Uh, you know that there is the the operator for deployments there's a, there's an operator for pods there's an operator for volumes I, I kind of feel that operators have been in the core of kubernetes almost since the start mm. and things like operator framework have just abstracted that away and allowed end users to interact with that and given a nice 
framework operator framework but you yeah. know a, a pattern for creating custom resources and to interact with them um and once you get your head around it it's very very easy to to codify um operations and repeatable processes um something i was was talking with david about just just before this call is um kind of like an, an sre operator where this is this is effectively an sre operation of your migrating data, you're making sure things are in the right state of, wouldn't it be great if for things that you're doing regularly on your clusters, you create an operator that does that for you. And, you know, if you needed to, you know, I don't know, like that um, volume expansion, mm. rather than you being at the console and typing out, stop the pod, create a new PVC of the new size, migrate it over, start up a pod, is you create a custom resource in your cluster that is increased pod size or increased PVC size, and you give it your target PVC and your new size. And then you have an operator that understands your application and understands how that works that will, you know, remove the pod from your whatever load balancer, it will upgrade the volume, migrate it over, do some checks on it, make sure that the, you know, the data is all valid, start the pod back up, make sure it's handling requests and then add it back into the load balancer um, and, and codifying stuff like this through the operators is a really interesting place where we are and, and kind of opening it out to the industry as a whole to start thinking about how we use operators to, to codify things like I think, I think it's I think it's a great point and also just because not most you know companies don't have the luxury of having the amazing team that you have at SIVO with so many rock stars is that it really is, you know, it's a people problem. Like as much as we can talk about the technical side there, as there are, there's a huge shortage of people, with these kind of profiles, uh, things like operators that allow these tasks to be done in lieu of, of a person actually being there, I think are definitely going to be important now and for the foreseeable future. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, operators are here to stay, but they're not, they're not new. They've, they've been there before. It's just the availability to use operators is new. Um, right, so that has done. Uh, if we kind of check how long that took. So the first one was five minutes ago. We shut that one. We started that one up six minutes ago and three minutes ago, <clears throat> instance 05 was done. So in the space of, if I can maths, three minutes, four minutes, the automation has gone through sequentially and migrated four instances for us. Um, it's a lot more repeatable task that we can do uh, and is less error prone. Come back over here. I mean, this is a process that we are in the middle of. Um, we're currently developing this operator, so we know that we've got more things to add to this. Um, what we'd like to do is have the ability to migrate more than one instance at the same time. Uh, we need to add some more awareness to it. So we want to know if it's a part, if all of the instances are part of a cluster, we only want to migrate one of those clustered instances at once. We also want to add more reporting and monitoring so that we'll only move on to the second or third instance in a single cluster. Once that is running, it's registered back into K3s, it's got workload running on it, and all of the workload inside that tenant cluster is running and ready. Because what we don't want to do is just assume because the VM has started, the actual end user workload is ready to go. 
So we want to kind of dig into those clusters and make sure the tenant workload is running before we move on to the next node in that cluster. But we don't want to sequentially do a thousand instances. We want to sequentially do individual instances in a tenant cluster. Um, the next thing we also want to work on is uh, making sure that we're not overloading that new storage class on the compute nodes um, ourselves. Um, because we are in this sort of migration process where potentially only 50% of our data is available on the destination storage class, we want to stop when we've got maybe like 20-30% used, then allow the team to reprovision some of the old NVMe drives because the data has been deleted into the new format. And then as soon as that becomes available, move on and carry on the migration. Um, and the other thing that's really, really key for us is, is reporting, logging and monitoring. Um, it means that we can kind of, if we do have incidents and issues, we can work out what has happened when. Um, and this is a fully automated process. It could you know, start this off on a Monday morning and it finishes on Wednesday. Without logging and monitoring, our SRE team won't know either if something has broken along the way or be able to find out what has happened and then work with the development team on kind of rectifying it going forward. Just a quick shout out to Sivo if you don't know about us, um, aiming to be the fastest Kubernetes provider with you know, quick launch times. At the moment, you can get $250 worth of free credit if you sign up at Sivo.com. And that was it. So kind of over to any future, any further questions, really? Yeah, yeah, well, definitely. Um... Is by the way, is Sivo hiring? Are you looking for anybody? Or just uh, giving give away credit. <laughs> <laughs> we are hiring. I don't know the roles that we've got. Oh, but, moment, but you but are. are That's for, <laughs> yeah, we are. We're looking. We're, we're always looking for talented SREs, um, Go people, marketing. We're we're kind of growing massively. We've just announced some some funding, uh, and yeah, we're, we're looking for people. So if there are good people out there. Just just get in touch and. You know, generally, if, even if it doesn't look like we're hiring for a particular role, if you're good, we will we'll keep in touch and um, we'll we'll let you know. Um, the other thing to note as well is that we try and hire from our community. Um, I, I, David seems to be the star of this show that we're always talking about. But um, you know, about a year and a half ago, we were looking for for someone. David was in the community and he reached out and said, "Hey guys, I really love what you're doing. Do you have a job?" And uh, you know, we kind of got knowing got to know him, talking to him, and he he joined from our community and a good few number of our latest employees have, have been using Sivo, been part of the community on our Slack, talking to us. And then we've been like, wow, you're amazing. Do you want a job? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, mean, I think it's a very organic, nice way to do it because a, you know, traditional sort of hiring process can be quite cold. And if you get to know somebody, you know, through in a community-based experience, I think you both sides probably know each other a lot better than if it's just um, a typical sort of process. So anyway, David saying he was a beta tester. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. That's, cool. that's cool to see this coming full circle and see his code in your demo. Um, a couple of questions that I do have, the things, you know, we talk a lot in our community about how to run data on Kubernetes, what is running data on Kubernetes, but then more importantly, perhaps in those two questions is why run data on Kubernetes? So like if you're talking to a customer, they're saying, why am I going to bother doing this? I know what you said about some questions that they're just not even going to be on the table, but if they are, you know, if a customer wants to know, you know, what's the value of doing this, why am I going to do it? What would you, how would you respond to that? Genuinely, I think Kubernetes is the future of the way we're going to be doing computing. Um, if you, if you look back 
everyone was racking and stacking their own servers. If you wanted to get on the internet, I'm talking you know, 20, 20 years ago, your only option was to, to go to PC World, <laughs> buy a server, start off sticking it in your bedroom, then find out what data centers are, sticking it in a data center, loading OSs on it. Then we moved to virtualization where we realized, hang on a minute, I've got a rack's worth of equipment and I'm only using 20% of everything. What happens if I can virtualize and get 80% utilization on all my kit? Great. Kubernetes is that next step of virtualization, whereas rather than running from VMs, you're, you're slicing almost CPU time down into containers. So a kind of a roundabout way of saying is that Kubernetes is the future of all computing and all computing is reliant on data. So you've got to be able to host data on Kubernetes as, as a must. Um, and as more developers and more DevOps people move over to being comfortable with Kubernetes, it's a really lovely place to be. You know, I've, I've done that journey. I've, I've been working with racking and stacking servers. I've been there for the introduction of virtualization into a company. I've been in a managed service provider where you're running VMware and, um, you know, KVM and you're trying to do that. Kubernetes is a much more lovely place to be because it kind of solves that promise of eventual consistency of, I want three pods. I want three VMs running in this current state. Kubernetes there in your back in the background and it's got your back of, you wanted three, there are only two, I'll start one up. Or you wanted three, oh, there are four, I'll just shut one down for you. So that's really nice. But the other thing is, is it changes the way you host and write applications because you're writing applications to be in a failure scenario of rather than assuming that you've got your one server with your WordPress site on it that has to be up if not the business goes down, you put that into a Kubernetes world and you go, oh, I have to assume it's going to fail. And it's just a much nicer place for everyone to be in because you don't have the business going, why is my WordPress site gone offline? It's like, oh, WordPress failed, but the second replica just took over all of the load and 20 seconds later, it was back up to full resiliency and I'm still asleep in bed and I didn't know about it. I, wow, that's very well synthesized. And particularly with the last point that you were mentioning, you know, because we've had different folks on here talking about SRE principles and when we talk about SLOs, SLAs, SLIs, it's like an assumed part of this is going to be failure and that's okay. Um, but like you said, is that that's why you have then you know, replicas to keep things going if, if there is a problem, but just building that into your to your model of understanding, this is going to be part of it, but we're going to be prepared for it by having a, a proper plan in place. A couple of other questions. If you had a magic wand, because we were talking about simplicity easier, about simplicity earlier, excuse me. If you had a magic wand, what would you do to make running data on Kubernetes easier? I guess just getting David involved in every project? I mean, yeah, that's perfect. If you've got a cloning machine, we can just yeah, clone. I mean, perfectly clone me and I'll be on the beach <laughs> while, while this version of me is here. That would be ideal. Uh, that'd be nice and simple. But I think the issue has been with data on Kubernetes is that data hasn't been designed for failure, mm. right? Of you go back to you know, what I was saying about, about WordPress is there is a single MySQL database behind it. And things like that haven't been designed for either a clustered workload where something is going to fail. So that has always been the challenge of, of data. Actually writing data in a Kubernetes environment is not difficult. It's a, it's a kind of solved problem. You've got, you've got some block storage, you write data to it. The problem is always at the application level that things like MySQL or Postgres or even WordPress with your, your upload directory, it's assuming that there is one upload directory 
that is always online. And that's that's the biggest challenge of moving data to Kubernetes is finding applications and writing applications that expect failure at a data level. Mm -hmm. Good. Question from the audience. What are the chances of the migration failure cases? So with the, the way that the operators write written is that if there's a problem with the with that migration um, and it fails to copy data over, the VM won't start and then it won't delete the old uh, PV. So the operator is written so that it will go, oh, VM hasn't started. Let me just reattach the old PV. We'll start the VM up, get the customer running, and then we'll work out how we go back and fix it. And that's more of a manual process of that reporting and logging thing of like, I have failed. The operator isn't going to be intelligent enough to work out why it has failed. All it's going to do is fail safe, fail happy, get the customer and the VM up and running, and let future David sort out that failure. <laughs> <laughs> the future. We see David in it solving that. Exactly. Um, no, that looks good. That looks good. Uh, okay. One one last question before we before we wrap it up. Something that this is actually the first time we're doing this. So lucky you as you work in innovation. <laughs> um, but something just a nice touch is, is to try to get a little bit more knowledge about you as a person, things you like to do, et cetera. So what I want to ask is if you could run data on Kubernetes with a single person, superhero, historical figure, musician, actor, doesn't matter, who would it be and why? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, weirdly, the first person that came to mind was, was John Luke Picard from Star Trek, which, you know, he just seems like he's always, either if he doesn't have the right answer straight away and makes a, a mistake, the, probably the thing about Picard is he's got a team around him that kind of steers him back in the right direction. So maybe if I expand that to, to the enterprise, if I could run data on Kubernetes with the enterprise crew, that would be awesome. <laughs> no, but that's cool. I like that. I think it's also, once again, is that we had a wonderful live stream with, uh, with a guy. Um, oh gosh, what was his name? I'm trying to forget now. Oh yeah. Solomon Iqbal, who's, who's also in the UK about backup and restore. And he's like, do not treat Kubernetes just as a technical problem. You have to make it a, a people opportunity. Um, and so that's what you said is that even if you don't have the right answer, if you have that solid team with you, then, and you very much do obviously in Siebel, you're in great hands. That's a lovely answer. So good job being the first person to have to do that. We got one <laughs> more question. We got one more question. Yeah, go ahead. Um, uh, but so uh, any session in use related failure? Uh, can you repeat that? Any session? Sorry, in... yeah, this is all, this is all that's written. These questions are, are very good in brevity and not, and not necessarily <laughs> strong on depth. Um, it says, are there any sessions in use-related failure, talking about the migration failure cases? I'm not entirely sure I understand the question. So That's okay. No, 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 more... don't worry. Don't worry. Yeah. Don't worry. Don't worry. Well, this, this person is, is always in our live stream, so we'll just invite him to continue the conversation on Slack. Um, so you can feel free to share the question there. Last but not least, um, you're, let me, let me just, I got to share my screen really quickly because while you're talking, um, we also have a tradition where in the middle, well, uh, throughout the course of our, our live stream, something else is happening in the background. And that is our amazing, let me know when you can see my screen. Yep. Um, so this is our amazing graphic recorder, Angel. Um, so if you put together this uh, drawing of all the different things that were mentioned and was able to include David as well. So it's very important, <laughs> David there on the right. Um, so all the different things that we uh, that, that we were being mentioned as talking about this issue of you know migrating storage from one one vendor to another. 
really, really good stuff. Uh, Dinesh, it was a pleasure having you. If people want to find you, because you're a little bit more secretive, more difficult to find than some of your SIBO counterparts. But what's the, what's the best way to reach out? Best place is, it sadly, is on the SIBO Slack. <laughs> oh, that's me on there that's is, okay. yeah, because, yeah. yeah it's, it's kind of just where, where I am all the time because I kind of live and breathe SIBO. So, so that, that, that's where you find me and, that, uh, you know, feel free to, to reach so. out there. Yeah. Like, feel free to reach out. Seriously. They've got a rockstar team of amazing people there. Um, can't speak highly of them, uh, too highly of them. Looking forward to having more folks from SIBO on future live streams. I mean, I really like that Star Trek reference. That's a great way to finish. I love that. Super good. That's going to be tough to beat. Um, so you can definitely be, be sure to see some other stuff in the follow-up. Uh, Dinesh, thank you very much. It was a pleasure having you. Thanks to everyone in the audience. If you want to continue the conversation, jump in our Slack or get in the SIBO Slack. Get those uh, questions answered directly. Take care, man. Thanks, everyone. Bye.